Star Wars Story Podcast, a podcast honoring the stories of Star Wars, the characters within them, and the people who love them. Today, we will be discussing Solo, its surprises, its imperfections, and everything in between. Hey everybody, welcome to a Star Wars Story Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Delaney, and I'm joined by your other host, Brooklyn. Hey guys! And today, we are going to be discussing Solo, which is... Something that I think both Brooklyn and I really have been not looking forward to. <laughs> um, that's kind of an understatement. Just a um, little bit. But it's just one of the harder movies to talk about because of the time in which it was released. So in 2018 and kind of, I think, just what we expected representation-wise and then versus what we actually got. And... We're going to try and balance our critiques, meaning our negatives, with positives. It's not going to be a one-to-one ratio, unfortunately, even nope. though we tried really hard to make it one-to-one. We tried really very did. hard. Um, but unfortunately, there's just a little bit more critique of this movie than there are praises of this movie. Not to say that there aren't great things, but there's definitely things that we wish we could change in this movie yeah Um, and i think i think like honestly like yeah like i wish it was a one-to-one ratio but like that's also reflective of just like like we are very like we were reluctant to do this episode like we were like kind of dragging our feet around it like because it's how we like it's, it's honestly how we feel about this movie and i think that that's fair to honor that and just be like listen we have more issues with this movie than we do like things that allow us to enjoy it so I won't apologize. Yeah, and I do want to mention um, my feelings that I had prior to watching this movie. Um, yeah, let's, I think start, that, let's start there with, like, how, like what we were thinking, like, going into this movie. Yeah, because honestly, for me, this mo- like this movie was better in some ways than what I had imagined. I'm not saying that this movie was amazing and that it was everything I hoped it was going to be, because it wasn't, but... I was extremely critical of this movie basically right when the rumor started swirling because for me, my issue with it was me trying to imagine anybody else other than Harrison Ford playing Han and I honestly couldn't imagine anybody in that role. Like I was trying to like fan cast and think of someone that I would be okay with and I couldn't and then when they announced Alden as Han, I just really couldn't see it and... It wasn't that I wasn't excited for the movie as a whole because for me, it's Star Wars and I'm going to go into everything with an open mind because I might end up loving it, even if I am not interested in the (laughs) beginning. Um, But I end up loving his performance in this movie. For me, that's one of the big positive takeaways. Um, And I feel so bad for for doubting him, honestly, because I just was so protective of this character. and. I think that really prevented me from seeing what this movie could be, at least at least in regards to him specifically, not as a whole, but what this movie could be in regards to Alden's portrayal. And I think Alden did an amazing job. And I just want to mention that right off the bat, because for me, that was a huge positive takeaway of this movie. And I think he did amazing. And I think he should get recognition for that. And I know that he definitely did. When the movie came out, I know there was a lot of positive feedback. Especially, I mean, I feel like I might be in a little bit of a bubble on Star Wars Twitter. But from all the people that I follow, I felt like 
he was his performance was pretty well received yeah so i I'm, mean there's even the, like that adorable video of like harrison ford like surprising alden at one of like his interviews and like told him that he'd seen the movie and that like he thought he like alden did a really good job which like anytime harrison ford shows up to talk about star wars like it's kind of hilarious because he's so open about how like ambivalent he is towards it all um but he really like just so sincerely was like and i think it was like a really like a a gesture of good faith like like he knows like you know kind of the you know to some extent the discourse around this you know and kind of the pressure of taking on like someone else's role essentially and i think it was really like a sweet gesture for Harrison Ford to do that in an interview. Um, but I also like, I think for me, when I was going into this, um, there were, there were a lot of people who came off the last Jedi who, you know, didn't like the last Jedi and they didn't, they, you know, they didn't like what Disney was doing with Star Wars and all that jazz, and, like, it was too feminist, and it was too, you know, social justice, which, I'm sorry, but have you watched a Star Wars before? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there, which, the logic of this is so incredibly insane to me, but their logic was to boycott the first Disney era movie in which there was a white male protagonist, which to me, I feel like the logic of it should be like, look at these movies that female protagonists that we didn't like because we're stupid. So we should look at the movie that does have somebody who looks like us. And we're going to support that like far and away to show them that that's what we want. Like that's what you would think that they would have thought. But also, um, they're not smart, so that's not what they did. Anyway. <laughs> so, so, as somebody <laughs> who loves The Last Jedi so much, I am a very, you know, stubborn person as well. Um, I was very much of the mentality of, like, I'm gonna go into this, and I'm gonna love this movie, because all y'all don't, aren't gonna like it, and, like, I'm gonna prove you wrong, this is gonna be a good movie. And I also went in, like, because of all of, like, the production, like, mishaps that were happening, and, like, were happening, like, very much in the spotlight, that, like, I think I just had such a low expectation of what this movie was going to be, and I walked out, and I really did love the movie, because I... I had, I, it, it is a genuinely fun movie. Like, if you're just going to sit and watch it and you don't, like, think too hard about it, I think that, <laughs> like, it really is a genuinely, it's a fun movie. However, it, the longer you think about it, like, like, there are a lot of issues that present itself. And I think it's very interesting that, like, you know, the reasons that it was, you know, people were had issues with it in the beginning were kind of the opposite of what the actual issues with the movie were, you know, like it wasn't Alden's performance. It wasn't, you know, anything like that. Like the problems with it were, you know, a lot of like the writing and a lot of, you know, the decisions around the care around the characters and especially around the female characters. And it was just like, it, 
it, it definitely like subverted its expectations in that you know it kind of disappointed you in a way you didn't think it was going to <laughs> oh absolutely like 100% i would completely agree with that i think i was more anticipating being disappointed by alden's performance which again apologies because he was so good but i ended up leaving not disappointed with a character's portrayal but the direction that the people in like in positions of power with production of this movie decided to take some of the characters that was my issue it wasn't it wasn't the acting, it wasn't any of that, it was the direction that some of these characters were taken, and, you know, I don't know, I just feel, I feel, I felt kind of misled, I guess, would be the only Definitely. word to describe it, um, just because I felt like this movie was making itself seem like, even though even though the the main character of this movie was not female, there were still a lot of female characters at the forefront of this movie, even with marketing. Like, yeah. very, very much so, not main main, but very much so at the forefront of this movie. And so in my mind, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be like a strong female movie. You know, there's three females that are at the very front of this movie. And this is going to be, like, a really, like, empowering movie, and it ended up not being that, and I think that that's where a lot of my issues with this movie come in are tied to that particular sentiment, at least for me, and I know that there's a lot of issues people have with various parts of this movie, but I think that, that is one of the main ones, and that's obviously, you know, that ties into, like, some of our critiques or our negatives as we are listing them off but um i think i think if you if you're cool with it brooklyn you want to start you want to dive into the, some of the first negatives that we have or at least the first negative that we have listed yeah so i mean <laughs> just kind of as a general consensus the way that this movie treated val is one of like one of the, like, the most egregious, like, things that Star Wars has done, especially because in the marketing, you know, you have Val, who looks like she's taking, like, a very, like, forefront role in the movie. Um, you have, like, Tandy Newton on the press tour. And, like, not only that, but Tandy Newton is kind of, like, just, like, talking so vocally about, like, what it meant to her to be, you know, the first black woman who, um who, like, at, is at the forefront, like, the first, like, named character, black female character, and, you know, how important that was to her, and, like, you get to, you know, at this, I mean, at the solo premiere, she wore a dress that was covered, it, like, it just had, like, all of the black Star Wars characters that we have seen, and, like, everyone on her dress was male, because, like, you, we haven't seen, like, any black female characters in Star Wars. And so you have kind of this precedent. Like, that's the way that the marketing was pushing it. That's the way that, you know, we were talking about it. And you're, you have Val, your first female black character, and you fridge her 15 minutes into her coming into the movie. Yeah, it's not a good look. It's really at, at not all. a good look. And, like, you, yeah. you have you have this 
character who like in in the time that she is on screen like we do we see like she's a she's such like a colorful character she like is able to you know she takes charge she's very opinionated like she is just like has all this potential to be this like amazing character and then like not like the not like, like the way that she dies and the way that she goes out like is so like poorly written like for example like han and chewie joining the crew don't have any actual effect on like on val dying like the reason val didn't want them on the crew is because like they didn't want like, more people, like, they didn't want, like, she wanted to keep it tight, like, they were out, they were already gonna be fine, like, Beckett trusts people too much, like, there was kind of, like, you know, the way that it was written, it should be foreshadowed that, like, Val is right, and adding Han and Chewie to the, like, crew, like, was to their detriment, but that's not how it actually plays out in the story, like, Envis Ness comes, not because of Han or, anything Han or Chewie does, but because Beckett, like, doesn't, like, has too much faith in his sources and isn't prepared to deal with Enfys Nest. And then, like, because of because they're fighting Enfys Nest, they trip the sensor. And then because of that, Val ends up dying. And none of that do Han and Chewie play any part of. Mm-hmm. And so it's this, you know, you didn't, you didn't follow through on, you know, any kind of foreshadowing you were trying to put in there. Um, you, you know, fridge your main character, like, when John Kasdan, who was the writer of the movie, like, was asked about it, he literally said that, like, Tandy Newton was too talented for him to use any more than that. And I was like, first of all, what is that supposed to mean? Like, the whole thing about, like, if you want to, she's too talented because your story sucks. Like, your writing isn't good enough for her. That's a, that's what it really means. And, like, it's just so frustrating because, I mean, if you take a look at it, like, I feel like you can see, like, Val and Beckett's roles should have been switched. Like, Beckett is just Woody Harrelson playing every other Woody Harrelson character that's ever existed in a Star War. Like, that's what Beckett is. It's just Woody Harrelson. And that's something we've seen before. Having Val, like, who is this, like, amazing dynamic character who has so much potential... If she were to be the mentor to this, you know, young, you know, Han Solo, that would have been, like, amazing. Like, that would have been so, like, cool. But, like, I don't think John Kazan could imagine listening to a black woman if she told her not to jump off of a bridge. Like, he just couldn't imagine, like having a black woman as a mentor for anyone who's not, you know, a black girl. Like, I like I just honestly think he couldn't have imagined it. Even though that story would have been so much more dynamic and interesting. It's just not there. And you just, Val's character is completely wasted and she's completely fridged. And not only that, but like, it really felt like a betrayal of trust. It felt like we were misled because there was so much hype in the marketing and the press tour of it around this character, around having like this this representation we haven't seen before in this galaxy and all of that only to have her, you know, be gone within the first, you know, 30 minutes of this movie. Yeah, honestly, you're right and you should say everything that you just said. <laughs> like, everything you just said, I 
completely agree with. I, yeah, I, I think a lot of it comes from the maybe unintentional, but also maybe intentional misdirection. Um, if it's intentional, screw you guys. Like, that is so rude. And she, the thing that sucks so much is that that character had so much potential, not only for the story, but for representation alone. And to do what you did with her character is just such a slap in the face to so many people. Yep. And I, I, it's so, it's so, so infuriating. (laughs) It's really infuriating. And I just hope that they recognize that. I mean, like, yeah, it's in hindsight and whatever. Like, there's nothing really that can be done about it now. But I hope that they've had enough people come to them and say, hey, this was not a good look because this could have been a great move for you guys in regards to representation and you just completely ruined that and i i don't know it just really hurts my heart because i just all the like young girls and young women that you know could have seen themselves in her character and just to have that completely lost like brooklyn said within the first 15 minutes of the movie essentially it's just like a crime it's literally criminal so yeah that's a huge a huge negative <laughs> huge negative um honestly a lot of our negatives revolve around the treatment of the of the women in this movie so just like prepare yourself for that i guess i mean i don't know if you could have already guessed that prior to really getting into the bulk of this episode but yeah just just a little mild spoiler that's where a lot of our problems lie is yep. within the treatment of women um so I guess to try to counter that in a, in a way, I guess we could talk about a positive. And I kind of already had mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but a huge positive for me was Alden's performance in this movie. And um, I really felt Han in his performance. I, I truly did. I'm not oh, just yeah. saying that. I, re- I really, really felt the energy and the spirit of Han Solo in his character and in his portrayal and I do not think that for me I didn't think that that was something that I was going to feel I was super skeptical going into this movie and I left being very pleasantly surprised with that aspect of the movie and I'm very happy that they chose him and I'm very happy with what he did with the character and I really like too that we do get to see connections Obviously, this would not be a, a Star Wars Story podcast episode if we didn't bring up the sequel trilogy in an episode because that's kind of our thing. Um, but even with this movie, even though it is essentially Han's origin story, so it's happening, you know, put it in the timeline where you will, but it's happening in the past tense and we still see connections to sequel trilogy characters and we see why he's able to connect with the characters that he's able to connect with, which is really neat. And we see that in his personality. Um, Two in particular. Um, We see his connections with Finn, meaning, you know, we see that he's very quick on his feet, and that's a quality that they both share. They, They think on their feet, and they're very quick to react. Um, like, I think, like, I think of, you know, especially, you know, once they land on Takodana in Force Weekends, you know, when Finn's trying to come up to him and be like, hey, are there any, like, you know, 
uh, first order, like, supporters here? Or, like, what am I getting myself into? And it's, you know, the, like, women always, you know, find out the truth. And then also, like, I think that, you know, you see Han see a lot of himself in Finn when Finn, you know, says, you know, does kind of decide, like, I'm not going to go actually join the Resistance. Like, I'm going to go on this freighter because um, I, you know, that's what I want to do. I feel like, you know, Han sees a lot of himself in Finn and you can see that, like, that being reflected in, um... You can see that being reflected in how, like, how he acts, especially in the beginning of this movie, where, you know, he does, he talks quick on his feet, he's a deserter, he, you know, he has a lot of those qualities. And I think that, you know, especially what struck me in, like, the very beginning, like, opening sequence, um, where it's, you know, Han and Kira on Corellia, is that you see how much of Han's life, like, was commodified. And you see, you know, what growing up, poor and what growing up you know having to scavenge and having to you know scratch for even the littlest of bit to call your own I feel like that is like one of the reasons he feels such a kinship to Ray because he's been where she is you know and like he you know when he steals that coaxium like he's doing like he's doing whatever he can just to survive and just to get himself out and away and I think you know that's why he offers Ray a spot on the Falcon, like, because he sees himself in her and he sees, you know, that he's been that poor kid stuck on a planet having to like scrounge for his, you know, scrounge for their survival. And I think that, you know, Han doesn't understand because, you know, Ray hasn't shared it, like why she wanted to stay on Jakku for so long, but, you know, he offers her a way out without her having to steal something egregious or something like that, you know? Like, he, he's like, you can come on the Falcon. Like, you don't have to go back there. Like, I will I will take you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that seeing those connections and being able to recognize that, I, I mean, I just love, I love, I'm a sucker for a good connection to the sequel trilogy, so that to me is really cool, but unfortunately, back to the negative, because we're going to be flip-flopping around, and I really don't think, it, like I said, I don't think it's going to be one-to-one, but we're going to try to counter the negatives with as many positives as we can, <laughs> so we're going to do our absolute best, we promise, but Going back into the negative, another huge letdown of this movie was the way that they chose, the direction that they chose for the character of L3. And I think, and a lot of it, you know, for me, it just, it's so frustrating because we get to see we get to see another droid, a fr- you know, a prominent droid, which obviously we got K2 in Rogue One, but we get to see a female droid in this movie. And that's so cool. Just like that alone is so cool. And I, I was honestly so excited for this character going into this movie because I am a person who really likes droids. That's just something that I really like about Star Wars. And I was so excited for this character. And seeing what they did um with L3 was just really disappointing and i i don't know they they made her as well as Val but they made both of them very disposable characters and the thing that i 
the the reason for me at least that both of these characters were such a letdown as well is that leading up to this movie you know the way that they had marketed this movie was these two characters as well as Kira although Kira didn't meet the same fate as these two characters it made it seem like it was going to be like a female-led movie for the most part and even even though that the main character isn't female still and it basically ended up being a movie where two out of th- two out of the three female characters were disposable and all of their plots were motivated by the men in their lives which is like yep. a huge yikes like major yikes like basically like you your story does not serve a purpose unless it's being motivated by a man and that's a huge yikes i do not like that at all and i think that like with l3 like it's like uh, like for me it's a very twofold in that her like this is the first time that like droid rights as a concept has been actually like addressed in like a star wars movie which like there's a lot to unpack there because droids are in this like strange sector of sentiency where you can build one and you can you know but you can also be friends with one you know and different people have different opinions on it you know like we were talking in our last episode about uh run to the sith where like anakin has like this great relationship with um with R2, but then, you know, Obi-Wan really could, like, doesn't care and isn't affected when he loses his droid. And so it's this interesting place. And, but I felt like the way that they wrote and the way that they, you know, portrayed L3 as, like, talking about droids' rights, it was just, it was so heavy-handed. And it was so, like, it made it feel like a parody of somebody who is, you know, actively campaigning for somebody's rights and for you know it felt like a parody of an activist in a way that it was you know borderline making fun of people who would think like this you know like the the fact that l3 wants her own rights and wants to have her own autonomy and wants that for others that are like her like is is the butt of a lot of the jokes and it's like oh ha 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 like you kind of have a crazy droid like you know, I can't believe your droid actually wants this. Like, it's not a real thing, you know? And it's just, it's, it's so demeaning. And then not only that, to have a droid who wants, you know, who is so vocal about wanting her own autonomy, being able to make her own choices, being able, you know, she helped build her own body. Like, that is something that's very important to her. To then turn it around and reduce her to just becoming a part of the Falcon, just becoming like a part of her navigation system is just so just awful and degrading. Like C-3PO was in like a million and a half pieces when, when Chewbacca found him in Empire Strikes Back and we fixed C-3PO, but L3 who gets shot once, like doesn't have, we don't have the capability to fix her. Like, it's just insane to me. And, like, I just, I, it felt like such a, to me, at least, it felt like such almost a parody of what an activist is. And, honestly, it felt like how the writers view, like, what the fate of an activist is. And, like, what the fate of, like, especially women who think this way is. And that's so demeaning and degrading and saying that, like, 
ha 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 you want your own bodily autonomy like you want your own freedoms and your own rights that's so funny you're just gonna end up serving men anyway and i'm just it's like such it's not a good look for star wars it's not a good look for anything and i just it it makes me like so upset yeah i totally agree i completely agree um in regards to the activism thing um it does seem like a parody it does seem like they're mocking and the fact that that movie was released in 2018 it's like that's just not a good look it's a horrible look for star wars and i don't know i just i feel like it's one thing when one thing not not to downplay any issues that people have with movies at all because even if it's only one issue it's still valid but it just feels like there's so many things that seemingly should not have slipped through the cracks with this movie like there's so many things and i just i don't know how there were this many issues that were never addressed at any point in production like or how no one said maybe this is not a good look or maybe we should rewrite this because not and again like even if it were one issue that one issue is still valid but with this there are just so many and i just really do not understand how that even happened um yeah but i think i think (laughs) but what we know of the production like it it was just very closed off and like this was essentially just like john kasdan writing this movie like on his own which i think is insane because like not only do you have all these issues with l3 but you have l3 being played by phoebe waller bridge who is not only a phenomenal comedic actress but she's a phenomenal writer like she has you know she's written her own like comedy series like she's written you know she has like most famously like she has fleabag which like this last year of um this last season that came out, like, came with so much praise because it's an absolutely, like, just brilliant piece of work and brilliant piece of writing. And, like, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, like, that is some, like, fixing scripts is something that she does, like, often. Like, that's something she does as a writer. Like, that's what she, like, the newest Bond movie that com- that is coming out, like, she's being credited as one of the writers and she took over an already started script and then is like fixed it and like is like finishing out this writing process so like you have like this amazing actress and this amazing writer that you can pull from and you never do and like i just i just can only imagine like if you had maybe you know i don't know asked a woman how they would feel about this storyline if you had had you know women in your writer's room anything like that so much of this like could be avoided oh absolutely i completely agree i yeah just having just having one voice in that room that is female just one voice because that makes so much of the difference and i don't i just don't know how nobody i just don't know how this got like just so much of this i'm just like how how exactly did this right how did how did we get here with so much of this movie and Um, i think especially even like with the l3 like what sucks is like putting her in the falcon like in and of itself sucks but then on top of that we know so much of the falcon's journey and knowing that l3 is in there and is like a conscious part of that ship now like it is awful like 
Oh, yeah. Like, you have, like, L3 is, like, Lando's droid. And, like, and even it less in, in, like, an ownership way, like, in, like, there, like, there, there is a genuine friendship there. And they work together to, you know, pilot the Millennium Falcon and, like, all that jazz. And then Han takes the Millennium Falcon. And so Lando doesn't have L3 anymore. And then, you know, when we pick the Falcon back up in Force Awakens, like, it's been abandoned on Jakku for years. And, like, she's just been sitting there. And it's like, wow, okay, like, that is, you know, just such a shitty way to put it. It's, oh, it just, it makes me so, so mad. It just, it feels so gross and degrading, like, the way that they played her story. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Um, I, unfortunately, now... I mean, not unfortunately. Fortunately, now we get to pivot to a positive part of this movie. Thank goodness. <laughs> so, um, Brooklyn already mentioned this, but if you just watch this movie and don't really read too much into it, this movie is a really fun ride. Just, just like, basics. And... I think it's hard to say that, like, oh, watch a movie, but don't think about it, because ultimately, a lot of what drives these movies are, like, the themes and, you know, the values, and I think that it's kind of almost counterintuitive to be like, watch this, but, like, turn your brain off, because, like, that's one of the best parts of Star Wars, but that's, like, kind of one of the only ways you can watch this in some ways, um, and I don't know, I feel like that's kind of unfortunate but I mean it still allows you to enjoy certain parts of this movie this movie as a whole I mean there are there are redeemable parts but there are a lot of parts that are hard to watch um and I I don't know I really like the vibe of this movie overall like just like not obviously not like like not like not the moments but like just like the you know like not like the plot points but the vibe and I feel like, uh, yeah, and, like, the aesthetic of this movie, like, they really, like, did a lot with, you know, like, I think that this movie's kind of shot, like, darkly, so it's kind of hard to see sometimes, but, you know, it has that, that very, like, uh, the way I describe it, it feels very much like, you know, a good section of, like, Clone Wars episodes, you know, when you go into the underground, like, it has, like, that very, like, Clone Wars extended universe feeling. It feels very much like the, you know, supplemental Star Wars content that we get that we love so much. Like, that's what Solo felt like, you know, especially with, like, Maul coming back and, like, all of that. Like, there were a lot of details and Easter eggs and, you know, the aesthetic of it that felt very much like that, you know, genre within Star Wars, which, again, I don't know why... They didn't like this movie because that's, like, their thing is the extended universe, but that's fine. <laughs> but, like, I I just think it's so, like, it really, like, it is, it has, like, the, such a, like, cool aesthetic and such a cool feel. And, like, the pacing, I think, can be very fun and, like, fast. So, I, it is. Like, it can be a very fun movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's just, there's nothing that, I feel like there's nothing at this point that the dude bros are going to enjoy in the (laughs) Disney era of Star Wars, which. They can't get over themselves to try. 
Yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay, whatever. You know, y'all do your own thing, I guess. Um, back to the negatives, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, and this is regarding... This is regarding one of... I, I would say this is my favorite character in this movie. Um, like, hands down. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't understand why... It was this shocking, this such a shocking moment that Enfys was a woman. <gasps> um, like, oh my god, like, can you believe it? Can you possibly believe it? I, uh, like, we been knew that, like, women are ruling the galaxy. Like, we already knew this. Like, this like, is, like, like, this is such a, like, John Cassin take of just, like, you know what's gonna be super surprising? If there is a young woman at the forefront of this, like, thing in the galaxy. Which, like, I feel like that's so, like, from, like, a, you know, cis white male perspective, like, wow, it'll be super shocking if I put a woman at the forefront of something. And, like, first of all, I don't know if you've ever watched a Star War, but, like, we have Princess Leia, we have Padme, we have Ahsoka, we have Sabine. Like, we have so many examples within the, like, galaxy like the status quo is that young women are like can hold these positions of power within the galaxy and can rule and can be like these smart engaging political leaders like that's not news and i think it really did a disservice like there is you know kind of this mystery about, you know, who is this cloaked figure. But I think that you can have that, especially because, you know, Erin Kellerman is a woman of color. Like, you have another woman of color on your screen and you choose to, like, have her behind a mask for almost the entirety of the movie. You know? And it's like, you have scenes of Enthus Nest that are not around, you know, Beckett and Han. Like, I feel like you can, sh- like, you can show her in those moments. Like, I think that there was, it, like, became this reveal of, like, look how surprising this is. Like, look at this crazy thing I did, putting a woman at the forefront. It's like, well, yeah, like, we already knew that. Like, we already do that. And so it just, it felt like it was doing, you know, a disservice to the potential. I mean, her character, even with what little we got, is so amazing and is so wonderful But, like, imagine the potential of, like, being able to see her face throughout the entire movie. Like, being able to see this young woman, like, truly taking charge. And that's, like, not something that we're allowed to see for the benefit of this reveal that shouldn't be revealing if you've been paying attention. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't understand why it had to be this big mysterious thing, because it didn't have to be. But... On a brighter note regarding Enfys is the fact that we got Enfys. Just the sheer fact that we have Enfys Nest as a character in the oh, Star Wars yeah. universe. Um, I would, I would like seriously die if we got more Enfys content. I, I have told Erin Kellyman to her face <laughs> that I really want more Enfys content. I know that she's probably not the person in control of that, but (laughs) I, but I really do want it. And I want to make sure that she knows that, you know, there's people out there who love her character and that would love to see her return, whatever form that may be. 
And if anything, I'm grateful to this movie for her introduction. I love her character. And I am so glad that we got her. And yeah, that's honestly, that's probably my, like the biggest highlight for me of this movie personally, um, is just her character. Yeah. And I just like, I literally could go on and on, but I don't know. And also just the fact that, I mean, the fact that we got, the fact that we got Enfys Nest, but also the fact that we now have Aaron Kellyman associated with Star Wars. And yep. I don't know if you guys don't follow Aaron Kellyman on Instagram, like, what are you doing? Like, she's amazing. I, just, I like don't know what to say to you. <laughs> like, if you're not, because she's incredible and I love her so much. And I'm she's so glad also, that we got her. She's also the first openly queer actor to be in Star Wars. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, which like, like there, yeah, like, I'm trying was, to, I'm trying to rack my brain. Like, like we know that Alec Guinness was bi, and he, but like that was very much like a close thing. Like it was really only like after his death, and like when like people published like his journals and his memoirs. Like it was something his family knew, but not something that was ever public. And so like, like that doesn't you know discount his validity at all. But like he wasn't you know open while. You know, he was, you know, playing Obi-Wan Kenobi. But Erin Kellman is the first open... And, like, she did... She has, like, come out post-Solo, but she's still the first openly queer actor that we've had in a Star Wars. Which, how many movies have we made? And how long is this been going for? Like, that in and of itself is, like, a travesty. But it's still amazing that she you know, is, and she does that. She, you know, just exists and blesses us with her presence. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I absolutely love her, and I would die for her, like, truly. Um, but segueing from that, back to the negatives. Like, this is a give and take, you guys. <laughs> Get used to it. This is a give and a take, unfortunately. Um, while there are things that I did somewhat enjoy about the character, there are also things to recognize that are negative about the character of Dryden Voss. And I think that Brooklyn would be better suited explaining this. Yeah, so I have a couple of issues with Dryden Voss. First of all, like, in terms of, like, his relationship to Kira, I think that you have, like... He's established as the bad guy. Like, we know that he's your, like, antagonist. He's your villain. Like, we open with him cutting somebody's head off. Like, we know he is, you know, the person who is bad. And yet, like, they felt the need to add on to that evil with kind of this implied, you know... Sexual tension isn't even the word for it because it's this very one-sided, you know... Like, he, he is a very, like predatory sexual energy towards Kira, which is super gross, and you don't need that in this story at all, and you know, it's just a very, like, you didn't need that extra level, like, it just, it, 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 you are adding, you know, presumed, you know, sexual violence and trauma onto this female character that already had, like, 
we already know that she's troubled. We already know that she, like, has this past. And, like, so many times, like, through Dread and Voss and through what she says, like, it's very heavily implied that, like, sexual violence and trauma has been a part of what Kira has had to go through to get where she is. And it's just such a gross tactic and we didn't need that. And then on top of that, there is, like, one of the biggest things with this movie is, you know, the thing about, you know, nepotism. Like, John Kasdan gets writing this movie because Lawrence Kasdan wrote Empire Strikes Back. And, like, that's kind of the only credit he has is that his dad also wrote a Star Wars, which, you know, we see how that turns out. And then with the change in director to Ron Howard, um... I don't remember, I can't remember his name right now, but the original person who was going to play Dryden Voss was a black man, and they had him playing, like, an alien-type character. So it was, A, another person of color that is played by an alien, which doesn't count, (laughs) for representation. Like, you can't just put your people of color... And, like, paint them blue or make them an alien. Like, show them as they are, first of all. And then, I believe it was, like, an availability thing. Like, now that they're reshooting, like, they didn't, like, he couldn't come back anymore. Like, he couldn't reshoot any of that stuff. And so, the role went to Paul Bettany, which I, I really enjoy Paul Bettany's performance. And I really like Paul Bettany, you know, as a person. Um... But, like, he says, like, he got the role because he was friends with Ron Howard, and when Ron Howard got the, you know, job to take over the rest of the production for this movie, like, he texted him and was like, hey, if you have any part for me, I want it. Which, like, I mean, like, how how much do people have to go through to, like, make it in Hollywood, and, like, all you have to do is text your friend, and now you're in a Star Wars movie? Like... That's super awesome for you, but also, like, that kind of sucks. And just, like, the optics of going from a black man who were you going who you were going to make an alien to being a white man who you make, you know, a very obvious humanoid. Like, he has some, he has those scars that change. So, like, there's a, you know, there's a bit of alien in him. But, like, it's essentially just a white man on screen. And, like, I understand, like, the logistics behind that. You know, like, when Ron Howard said, like, they were reshooting, they did try to do, like, that same kind of alien character. And, like, the performance wasn't coming through. Like, it was really hard to read. And they didn't want to do motion capture. And so they ended up changing the design of the character. Like, I understand the logistics behind that. But, like, the optics of that is just, again, like, it's not good. It's not, like, I. this movie, like, set itself up as this, you know, pinnacle of, not even pinnacle, but, like, it was like, trying to be, like, it, like, has a lot of representation, you know? It has a lot of people, and, like, you have your women whose, whose stories cater around the men in their lives. You have, you know, Dryden, you know, going from a black man to a white man. And then also you have... Again, with John Kasdan, he said before the movie came out and then kept, like, reiterating it afterwards that Lando is pansexual because he, like, is attracted to L3, which 
being pan doesn't mean that you are attracted to, like, droids. Especially, like, a female-coded droid. Like, that doesn't count. Like, that... Like, if you were going to categorize that, like, let's say, like, Lando and Al 3 were in a relationship, like, that would be a het-presenting relationship. Because it's a man, and, you know, a cis man, and a female-coded droid. And so trying to, A, retroactively make, you know, a character pan... Which, like, I think that, you know, there's there's something to be had there where, you know, you can have, you can, you know, reveal something about a character that's already been there about their, you know, sexuality or something. Like, that, you know, can be hit or miss and depending on how you deliver it, which obviously this was not delivered well. And on top of that, you have, you know, a fundamental misunderstanding about what pansexuality is. And, like, it's... It was just so, and especially it's, it, it's similar to how, you know, in, in Endgame, you have, you know, the Russo brothers made this whole thing about this is the first gay character in the MCU, and it was one unnamed dude who just happened to say that he went on a date and then, with someone and then used, you know, he, him pronouns to talk about said person. Like, that was the extent of the representation that you got. It's very much, you know, but even worse, how saying Lando is pansexual is. Because it's not, like, there's nothing that is shown in this movie that shows that he's anywhere on, you know, the LGBTQ spectrum. Like, wanting to have sex with a droid doesn't make you pan. That's not how it works. And it's just, like, that's not... Don't say that you're going to have representation when you, A, don't take any input from anyone other than yourself in your own, like, cis white male perspective on the world, and then, you know, misrepresent the communities you're trying to say that you're, like, activated, like, being active for. Yeah, John Kasdan, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the, the authority on being pansexual, but, like, let me sit you down and explain this to you, because you obviously don't understand it. Um, yeah, it's really frustrating. It's frustrating when, I don't know, it's frustrating when you get excited because you think there's going to be representation, and then it turns out not at all what you thought it was going to be. Um, but I guess that's kind of par for the course for a lot of things these days. So... I mean, I don't really set my hopes too high anymore, which kind of sucks, but that's kind of, if I come out of it being pleasantly surprised, then great, and if I come out of it not liking it, then I'm like, well, at least I wasn't disappointed. So, um, back to the positives, which, even though it's good to recognize the negatives, it's nice to kind of try and try and balance it out a little bit. <laughs> um, I think that this kind of goes without saying but I think a positive of every Star Wars movie is the score. I think that you can say that oh, that yeah. is a highlight of every single movie. Um, and with this movie in particular, it wasn't only John Williams, but it was also John Powell. So there were two people creating the score for this movie. And I'm assuming it was more kind of John Powell um, kind of being mentored in a way by John Williams. Yeah, I think so that from, they're what, trying from to- what I understand, how it worked is that 
John Williams created that, like, Han Solo suite that I think we hear... I'm not sure if the actual suite itself is ever heard in its entirety. It is on the, like, album. But John Williams created, like, the Han Solo suite that had kind of these, like, motifs and, like, this, you know, feel. And then John Powell based the rest of his score on that. And so kind of, like, extrapolating from there. Like, very much in the same way that, like, Michael uh, Giancino did the Rogue One score, where, like, he's pulling from, you know, Vader's theme. He's pulling from themes from, you know, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope and, like, the rest of the original trilogy. Like, he... But, like, you don't really have that same, like, pool to pull from in terms of a solo movie, which is why I think they had John Williams come back and create that suite. And then from there, you know, he extrapolated on. Yeah. I... I love that we're getting these movies where obviously you can still hear the influence of John Williams, but we're also getting new people because unfortunately John Williams is not someone who can live infinitely and for an eternity. So we're going to have to have people who have worked with him who can, you know, step up to the plate and kind of take on the mantle. I mean, I know it's it's not going to be the same and it's not going to be some like an exact replica, but it's at least going to be people who have worked directly beside him. And that makes all the difference, in my opinion, um, because they've been mentored in a way. And I think we are at the last, the last main negative, which just feels like, I feel like this is a good last negative to end on or a good negative that we can kind of wrap the negatives up on in a way. I don't know how to even say that. I'm I'm kind of losing my phrasing right now. But I, with this movie, you know, obviously with some movies, you get to the end and you know that there are plans to create a sequel or plans to create supplementary content. And so you get that. You There's a lot of ambiguity around the movie. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing, because it's not. But there was definitely a vibe at the end of this movie where it felt like they were setting it up for a second movie, even knowing full well and communicating to the audience, you know, prior to the release of this movie, that this is going to be a standalone and there will not be a second. And yet, even in, even in the midst of that, it definitely felt like we were left with this ending that was going to be picked up, you know, whether that be by another movie or by a show or something. And there's been no word on that. And I feel like that's a really weird route for them to take because it's just, you know, obviously I feel like that's not the, that's not the environment and that's not the the emotion I feel like that they might have intended for. Or maybe it was, but I just feel like that doesn't really make sense when you are going into a movie saying and marketing it as a standalone and then leaving it how it was left at the end. Because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, like it's very much like... <sighs> it's just, It's very much the way that, like, it's ended, it feels like you're supposed to go into another movie. You know, you have, like, Han and Chewie, like, they're about to go to Tatooine and go meet, um... 
go me job of the hut and you have you know darth maul that comes like at the very very end and then doesn't go anywhere with that and it's like it's this thing where like i feel like they wrote the way that they the movie itself just feels very unfinished you know it feels like and and not honestly not in a good way i think that there are a lot of movies like you can end a movie it, you can you can and probably should end a movie where there are still questions to be answered and there are still things that you know you can explore but honestly the way that they wrote this it wasn't just questions to explore it was like storylines left unfinished without any plan to continue this story you know like it wasn't like it was it was announced and it was marketed and everything like from the beginning this was supposed to be a standalone movie you know like we have trilogies that are coming you know we have ryan johnson's trilogy we have you know benioff and weiss have a trilogy you know and this was supposed to be a one-off movie and then to kind of essentially not finish your story and it almost feels like a move like we're just not going to finish it, and then you're going to have to ask us back. And it's like, well, no, your movie flopped, because you didn't do it very well, and so then no one wants more. You know? Like, even though there is so much potential, like, you want, like, I want more about Emphasis. I want more about Kira and Maul and Crimson Dawn. Like, I want more, you know, Han and Chewie adventures. Like, I think there is a lot there, but just the execution of Solo was so poor and, you know, with all of the issues that it went through in the production, you know, it had, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were attached to it for so long into the production and then, you know, less than a year before the movie was supposed to come out, they are fired from the job and then there was, like, I, it, I can't remember how long it was, but it was a while that there was no director for this movie and then Ron Howard, like, finally signed on you know, and then production had to restart again. And, like, they've said, you know, they had to do so much in so little time. And it's just, like, this whole... It's just, it feels very unfinished and very undone. And so much of Solo, I feel like, could have been fixed with more time and more care being put into the movie. Which makes me really sad, because I feel like there is a lot of potential for, you know these stories to continue and the stories that we did get for them to be told better. And so it's, you know, it's hard and it kind of yeah. sucks. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I feel like even though they recovered as best they could with the changes that they had to deal with, I feel like you could definitely still feel that in the movie. Yeah. And that's really unfortunate because there were... They were, I mean, I I think that they did do a fair job at recovering. I mean, obviously, there are issues with the movie, but it was still, I mean, it was a movie, you know? It was yep. a movie that went to theater, so hey, that's, like, better than nothing. Um, but, yeah, I think that with any movie that has pre-production issues and production issues, you know, there's still going to be some ghost of that issue present you're still going to be able to kind of sense it in a way and I don't think that that's really something that you can really control and that's kind of unfortunate but um you kind of just have to do the best that you can to recover and to 
make the best possible product that you can with the resources that you have available to you. And I think that that's what they tried to do. And I don't... I mean, (laughs) there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of complaints I have. I can't really give it too much credit, but I think that we can end on a positive note. And the thing that I really liked from this movie is that this movie really sets you up for the character development that you see with Han throughout the rest of the movies. And yeah. I really like, I really, really, really liked getting to see even his character develop in small ways in this movie. And I know that when you see him in A New Hope and in Empire Strikes Back, it's very much so like, I'm a scoundrel, I'm in it for the money, you know. But in Solo, we see that there are people who see through that. One of them is Kira. And I really like that we get to see this, especially because it's a part of his origin story, So we know that it's a part of him from the beginning. It's not something that develops with his relationship or through his relationship with Leia. It's not something that develops through his relationship with Luke or, you know, it's something that is there from very early on from, you know, his origin story. And I I don't know. I really like it. I really like that we got to see the development in this movie because it really, it works so well with the development in the other movies too. Oh yeah. I didn't like... One thing that stuck out to me when I was watching it this last time is, like, it really does undercut, like, how much Han really does care about the people around him. And, like, he he honestly, when it comes down to it, he cares more about the person than the money. Like, that is what he cares about. Even if he's fooling himself, you know, even if he tells himself, like, oh, I'm all about the money. Like, I'm a hard, you know, he, you know, I'm, you know, this hardened criminal and all this stuff. Like, we see, like... But your actions are telling a different story, you know? Like, he lets go of the coaxium in the beginning, you know? If you were just about the money, you would hold on to that, you know, as long as you can. But he wants to save Chewie, and he wants to save, you know, Beckett, and he doesn't want more people to die. And so he, you know, lets it go. And he offers to come with Beckett after, you know, go back to Crimson Dawn. And Beckett even says, like, no, don't come with me. Like, if you come with me, then, like, you're you're in this life forever. And you're not going to be able to get out of it. So you go, like, save yourself and you can go. And he said, you know, he says, like, well, will I still get money? And, like, that's what he's saying. But you really feel, like, what, like, what he's showing you is that, you know, he wants to atone for what he did. Like, he feels bad. For letting it go. Like, he doesn't want Beckett to take the fall for this alone. You know? And, like, time after time again, we see, you know, Han telling the world and telling himself one thing. Which is, like, I don't care about anybody. I'm not just here for the money. And then we see... What his actions show us is that he does care. He has this big heart. He wants to help other people. And, you know, that's something that we see for the rest of, you know, Han Solo's story. And it's just, I think it's really great, like, just seeing Han's character shine through. And, like, the like he is, you know, a little rough around the edges. He is kind of a scoundrel, but he's a scoundrel with a big heart, which is why we love him, which is why Leia falls in love with him. Like, it's really seen, like, even as a young man, like, that is still something for his character. And I think that... That's really great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Even though this wasn't a traditional style of our rewatch episode, 
I think that we covered a lot of the bulk of the movie, and I think that this this format I think was the only way we could have done this movie. Personally, <laughs> I do not I do not think we could have done it in our regular format. I just really don't think we it would have worked. Um, but yeah, that was that was our recap of Solo, and that was our recap of our critiques, but also the things that we enjoyed and the things that you know, kind of counter the negative. So I, I'm i glad that we were able to kind of break it down and be honest with how we feel about this movie because I think a lot of times, and at least for me, I've gotten better about it, but I used to be, you know, not understanding how to critique something that you love while still communicating that it's something that you enjoy and it's something that you love, but also being able to recognize, hey, like this wasn't great and like, I don't enjoy this and not having that mean that like I hate something as a whole or yeah. I hate a franchise as a whole. I didn't really, you know, it's that's a skill that I've had to develop because for so long it was like it's black and white, it's all or nothing. And it's like no, you can it's very nuanced. You can like something and also dislike certain parts about it and be critical and be critical as a fan. And I think that Solo is the main movie where you can be critical and it is valid and you're not less of a Star Wars fan for having certain opinions about it and I don't know I think I think it's just important to create a space where people can freely talk about what they dislike about movies and not having to worry about someone berating them for it or like making making them feel bad for it yeah. because movies and like the enjoyment of movies is so subjective and i i just hope that we further create a space where people can feel safe to be able to talk about things they love and also things they don't like and be able to have those conversations because that's an integral part of fandom especially online fandom um and i might add, might i add healthy online fandom i'm talking about like discussions not like <laughs> just like i'm talking civil discussions okay like that's what i'm referring to so let's let's try and keep it civil over here um as best we can um but with that brooklyn would you like to mention our patreon yeah so um we have a patreon it's just patreon.com slash a star wars story podcast um and it really helps us, you know, keep up podcasting isn't free and it helps us to offset the costs of our production and um, there are different tiers. You can get different, you know, levels of access depending on how much you pay a month. Um, and we are really grateful to our patrons who that we do have. Um, we would like a big shout out to Carla, Greg, Kayla, Meg, and Nick. Um, we love you. We're so glad that you have chosen to support us. Um, and if you like this, you know, go check us out there. You'll get exclusive episodes. You'll get, like, all kinds of fun, good content. So go check us out on there. And I think with that, all that's left to say is may the force be with you. May the force be with you. 